touchline takes. Touchline Takes Podcast. Excuse me for being excited, people. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Touchline Takes. I am here with my co-host, Cameron Reed, and we have a very special episode for you today. We are joined by the general manager of El Paso Locomotives in the USL, Mr. Andrew Forrest. Thank you so much, Andrew, again, you know, for joining us. You know, it really means a lot to us on this podcast where we're trying to highlight, you know, the USL and the other lower divisions here in the United States. And you just taking your time means a lot to us. No, I appreciate uh, you guys reaching out and, uh, and I'm happy to do it. Uh, you know, part of our my goal is just to help grow the game uh, in, mm-hmm. in the country, especially and specifically at the lower uh, lower division or non-MLS division where there's still plenty of great things happening and, and hundreds of cities across the country. It's not just what's happening in MLS cities. It's, it's the rest of us too, because we're, we're pushing it forward as well. Totally agree. Definitely. Definitely. And I'm going to start off with the hardest question that we're, you're going to be asked today. We're, we're just going to start off right off the top. Andrew, we ask this to everyone who joins us, but what made you get involved with soccer from your playing days to now into the organization at El Paso? What made yeah, you sort of all- fall in love? Yeah, I'll try to keep this quick. It could be a long story, but I'll try to keep it quick. And, and there is a, a pretty funny stock answer that I've developed. Um, I, I played I played soccer growing up. I kind of came to it late uh, at around 11 uh, when when 1994 World Cup, when, when the United States hosted it. I can't tell you that I'd even seen soccer live or on TV before then. Um, some neighbors got into it. We had some block parties and I was like, this is really cool. Um, so I, so I kind of started playing and uh, played club. Played high school, played uh, played in college in Virginia at college in Virginia, um, and while I was in school, I studied history and I love history. I loved it then. I love it now. Um, but I always thought that you know it would work itself out. I didn't really think too far into the future, um, and I thought you know maybe I could just be Indiana Jones. That seemed pretty cool. Uh, looked like a lot of fun. Uh, pretty girls, cool adventures. Uh, turns out that's not how it goes. It's uh, you know work in a museum or uh, mm-hmm. be a teacher. Uh, or continue to uh, to write and maybe become a professor, and and that wasn't exactly for me. I was coaching club in high school, uh, doing some teaching uh, right out, you know, at, at 22, um, and really, you know, still enjoyed soccer. And, and you know, I, I was learning what I didn't like uh, mm-hmm. teaching, and I uh, thought that I would go back to school for for sports business, which is what I did. I went back to James Madison for graduate school, and and uh, you know, this was also, I believe, when did I graduate? 2010, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sounds right. Um, and that was right when uh, we were kind of in a, you know, not kind of, we were in a fairly major recession. And I can remember, right. you know, congratulations, class of 2010, we don't need you, was like on the Washington Post or something. Oof. And it was, and it felt that way because I couldn't get a job, but I was able to connect with a, a great buddy of mine, Andy Smith, who's also a, a semi legend in the soccer business in this country. Um, and uh, we actually played for the same coach at the same college. And he, he got, he's like, Talked to me a couple times. Three days later, I'm moving to Baltimore with Crystal Palace, Baltimore. Uh, worked for them. Um, you'll, you'll also notice that there's a lot of the teams I worked for in the graveyard, unfortunately. But uh, started bouncing around there. Worked with Michael Hitchcock quite a bit. And, uh, and, and really, you know, the love for soccer has always been there and will always be there. But I was able to, to mesh that with, with the business side, which I very much 
very much enjoy. And, and mm -hmm. that's where my, my forte is, you know, um, titles are different at different clubs and general manager, maybe a touch misleading to some, um, I, I'm not looking at players. I'm not watching second division Chilean soccer. I'm not doing that. That's not my area. Um, the, the business side, but at the same time, I, I, I'd like to think I can answer your technical questions about our team as well. And, you know, stops in, in Minneapolis in Edmonton, where else did a Greensboro, San Antonio for the bulk of the time with the Scorpions and in the NASL. And then, uh, you know, quick, quick couple of years as a, in the, the college world. And now, now been here a little over three and a half years. And it's probably the quick version of, uh, <laughs> of, of how I got here and, uh, and why, and why I'm still sitting here. So. No, that we, thank you very much. That's, you know, incredible to hear, you know, sort of your sh short version of your journey through everything. And um, you mentioned the business side. I know this past year with the pandemic, you know, it, it's, it's been difficult, especially, you know, probably for some clubs in the USL. How have, how has El Paso sort of managed to kind of, you know, weave their way in between the pandemic and still continue this success they saw last year into this season as well? I think there's a couple uh, common denominators for us. We have unbelievable ownership group that gives us the tools and resources to, uh, you know, run our, our team at the highest level. And I think the other mm -hmm. person that deserves a lot of credit is, is Mark Lowry, our head coach and technical director uh, for putting together. Uh, I actually tell this story quite a bit is, you know, we started as a new team in 2019, which was a regular normal year. Uh, last year was obviously difficult, but nonetheless, you know, still difficult in life, but also difficult on the field. There's a lot of good teams. But I think even though we were a brand new team in our first year and our second year, the success we had was not completely out of left field. While these were El Paso Locomotive's first year, this was not anybody's first year of, of walking on this planet. We had a uh, right. we had players, you know, Richie Ryan, Yuma, for example, who have had storied journeyman, careers, yeah. um, you know, that been everywhere. Spent, you know, 15, 16, 17 years for some of these guys. Um, not the first time they'd stepped on a soccer field. So mm -hmm. while our team was new in the sense that, well, as locomotive was new, our team was not a bunch of, a bunch of 17 year olds that we just found out at the park. Like this was a crafted team intentionally done by Mark Lowry and he's, he's done an absolute did hey. and has continues to do a masterful job. Hey, Andrew, can I just actually jump in for a second? Cause you mentioned sure. Richie Ryan and I just, I just want to mention, you know, you talk about experience. This guy's been at Antwerp, Sunderland, Sligo Rovers, Dundee United, Ottawa mm -hmm. Fury, you're, you're totally spot on with that. Like I read that list and I, that was my immediate thought was they got the right guy for a captain. He's, he's got all the experience. And, and Yuma has similar experience um, mm -hmm. as well. And, and these guys have been able to translate that. And I think they've been able to help cultivate because we do have younger kids on our younger guys on our team uh, that are still starting their, that are starting their careers. And these guys have been unbelievable mentors uh, to these young players that there's, you know, there's, there's the business, or I'm sorry, there's the business that needs to get taken care of on the field as a player, but there's also the locker room stuff. There's the travel part. You know, you need to be a professional when you're, in your, in your, when you're at the grocery store, um, you know, talking to the media. These guys have, have played a, an integral part to, you know, 17-year-old Diego Luna, who's playing very well for us, uh, mm -hmm. has a bright, bright future. But literally, Richie and Yuma are, could be his father and are twice his age plus. So, it's, it's great to see guys that are at the end of the year that don't have to do that. There's not in their contract. They don't have to care like that. But we have a team of guys that absolutely care about the next generation in El Paso, but just the next generation of soccer players in general. If you ever want, and, and it's tough uh, on the broadcast, but if you ever look at the end of a game, Richie is almost always on the field talking to somebody from the other team well past when everyone else has gone into 
into the locker room. And I always notice that some of the older guys talking to other players, probably because they're friends, but you know, these guys have great reputations and, and mm-hmm. other people that, that they know want to catch up with them. And, you know, you know, we're talking about the players, but uh, one, one kind of constant that I've also noticed about the club is that um, it seems like you have a very passionate ownership group. Um, and one that I would say saw a, a hole in the market as well. I mean, we're talking about what your Metro region is about 1.5 million people. And then if you include Juarez, that's another two and a half million people. Could you, uh, could you talk to us about the, the ownership group a little bit and sort of their, their commitment? And um, I know they also have some other ventures. So if you want to include yeah. any of those connections, sure. that would be excellent. Yeah. I think our ownership group is unique and, and I'll get to part of the uniqueness here in a second. But I think our, our owners are, they're unbelievable people. There's two major ownership groups. It's the Hunts and the Fosters. Um, mm-hmm. And these people um, exactly saw a void in, in, in the community um, this wasn't necessarily they wanted to be sports teams owners. That was a big, huge goal. That was what they always wanted to do in their lives. What they saw was an opportunity for economic economic development for the right. city and quality of life initiative for the city, for the people. This is for this is for the community of El Paso, Las Cruces, Juarez, the borderplex region that we call it. This is not about I want to be sitting in the box drinking my mint julep and have everybody come kiss my ring. That is not why they do it. They do this Mm -hmm. for all the altruistic, correct reasons that you would hope somebody would do something. These people could be retired. They could be living in any wonderful place in the world, but they, they live day to day and operate here and they continue to do the right things for the community and help this, you know, help El Paso move forward, which is so admirable in so many ways. And again, the the reason that they, they brought the Chihuahuas here was they saw a, a, a massive need. This is a city of, as you mentioned, you know, I think it's 850,000 proper plus, plus, plus as you get out into the, to the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the surrounding communities. And, you know, we don't have anything. I mean, UTEP's here and, and that's mid-level D1, but the, why, why does El Paso, which is a pretty major mid-American city, doesn't mm-hmm. have anything else? And, and they, they brought, uh, you know, it's coming on about eight years, nine years. They announced the Chihuahuas, which is a AAA baseball team and has been one of the most successful minor league baseball teams of all time um, in terms of almost everything. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, they, they diversified. It was, there was an opportunity to, to bring USL soccer, um, which was what they did, I believe, announced in, in 2018. And they also have a, um, you know, a, a stake in, both groups have uh, a stake in uh, FC Juarez, the Bravos of Liga Emekis. And they started that as mm-hmm. a second division team. And due to, you know, various different things, we're able to bring that to, to the first division of Mexico, which is a, very respected in a very high level league, as you guys are well aware. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they're, they've been in there for a tournament or two, and they're trying to get that thing where it needs to be. But they just hired uh, Tuca Ferretti, I believe, uh, who's a big time you know, coach who was at Monterey. I'm sorry, was at mm-hmm. T-Grace for a long, long time, interim t- coach for Mexico. So it's, it's all about, about raising the profile of um, you know, Juarez is very similar to El Paso, you know, often mm-hmm. overlooked in Mexico. Um, probably has people have some uh, preconceptions that are not completely true um, right. and, and just like El Paso does. And uh, you know, what we're trying to change that narrative and, and bring people in. We want when teams come here, we want them to go back to their respective markets and be like, man, that's not what I expected. And that was pretty cool that they have mm-hmm. a nice little downtown, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're, we're trying to, we're trying to beat that drum really, really hard. Yeah. You were recognized as the, uh, the best game day experience. Is that, is yeah. that correct? That in our first year, we were, we, uh, you know, the, the ballpark has won many awards uh, across baseball, diff- various different things. 
Um, we're a, a LEED certified building uh, in terms of, of uh, you know, going green and using doing initiatives that, that are sustainable energy sources. So we, we've worked really hard. We've got a great staff. We've got an unbelievable staff that, that, that works here, um, specifically uh, Taylor Miller, who leads the initiatives on um, the game day presentation. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to apologize that we, we, we won that. And, I, and I'm proud of that, that, mm -hmm. that we, she did an excellent job. Be. Our organization did an excellent job. And it's, it's always, of course, with anything, it's wonderful to be recognized by your peers uh, for, for working really hard. So we, we try Definitely. to do the best we can and, uh, and always find ways to improve and get better and, and make that game day experience a memorable one. Now, we see a lot across the USL, and you kind of touched upon it, that community, you know, where these USL clubs are. How important is it to kind of build that relationship between the club and the community, between the players and the community, um, especially within El Paso? I think, it's, I think it's, it's important here, just like it's important in any city, you know, MLS on down, any city with a pro sports team. It's, mm -hmm. it's wildly important. I don't know that you can be successful, and we've probably, you know, I could probably point to some of my teams in the past, you know, that weren't successful because we were unable to engage the community at a high level. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's what this is about, especially and specifically for us here, is to bring something, you know, bring these, you know, be on the world stage or the, the national stage with cities like Phoenix or Tampa or Indianapolis that are always in the news. San Diego, I mean, think about all the teams in our league. Well, mm -hmm. now you got to talk about El Paso too. And we right. beat you, and we went to yeah. the conference finals. <laughs> so get to know us because we're not going anywhere, type thing. Right. And, and again, we're we're unapologetically uh, moving forward in that in that way. You know, we're not we're not bullies, we're not jerks. We want to treat everybody well, but we also we want to beat you when we're playing you on the field. And uh, and that's that's been the goal. And we've had a, you know again credit to the players, of course, and to the coaching staff and under Mark. Mm. We've been very fortunate and and to to have some very good teams. So it sounds almost like, you know, the organization has that like chip on their shoulder that like, it, it, you know, they're, they're, they're determined to get that respect from, you know, the sort of ownership level to the management level to the players themselves. And that's, a, you know, I'm not from El Paso. You know, most of our play, we have some local guys, of course. We've got guys from all over the world. I think it, it's a it's a way of life. It's an El Paso. Something that I've learned is, you know, that a lot of times El Paso is overlooked and, and that's not mm -hmm. fair. And we're, we're, we're here just like members of the community that go to different, go to live in other cities. We're, we're determined to show you that this is a, a great American city. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, we would, you know, if you give us an open mind and a shot, we can certainly prove that to you. And, and I think that that's a, a great characteristic of our, of our team that extends all the way down is, you know, we, maybe we're not Louisville with the brand new stadium, or we don't have this, that, or the other thing. Right. But we're, we're here to compete. And, if, you know, if you notice, we, we, we don't always win a ton of uh, individual awards, teams of the weeks, this, that, other. and that's okay. We're, we're, we're a team. We're, we're, we want mm -hmm. to have 10 guys each score five goals. Like, that's okay. That still gets us to where we need to be. That seems so. like exactly what's happening this season as well. Um, you yes. know, for, those, for those who don't know, El Paso doesn't lose, at least this year. Uh, three wins, three draws two games in hand, I believe, on, on yep. the, uh, the top of the table. So a mm -hmm. chance at um, being solely in first. Uh, so I think you guys are definitely proving that, you know, you're here to win um, two Western Conference finals as well. But uh, that's not all you're doing. You know, you're not just fielding a, a professional team. Could you, could you talk to us a little bit about what it's been like developing the, the uh, youth program as well? And it's a, it's a robust youth program from what I've seen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 
it's a, a, a talent-rich area for, for soccer and has been for quite some time. And there are a lot of kids, you know, we, we obviously, we feel that we have an obligation to, you know, whether maybe it's not stated in, you know, in the charter or something like it might be in other leagues, mm-hmm. but we, we think we have an obligation to help develop and help give the best opportunities to the kids of El Paso. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just crazy enough to start a, a 17 team youth soccer uh, <laughs> club in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot went into it and, and Bob Bigby leads that, that charge and is great at that. Um, but we started that last fall and we've, we've had some great success. We actually just had Austin FC uh, leave town with two teams. They came all the way here to, to play us, um, which we think is a, a great sign of respect from them um, mm-hmm. to come here and want to, to, to play us because they see us as a quality opponent and, and uh, we have the utmost respect for that group uh, to, to come out here and, and, and do that. And, you know, we've been trying to showcase because we, this, this community has lost a lot of talent, uh, which is, which is, you know, rightfully so these kids are trying to do the best thing for themselves to go to Salt Lake city. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a, actually for the Monarchs, the second division team, they have a 16 year old El Paso and starting at center back uh, right now. We've had kids go to Austin. We've had kids go to Dallas, to, to San Antonio. And what we wanted to do is, you know, provide multiple tiers. You know, if you, if you're more of a recreational player or just want to do it for fun, we've got programs for that. But if you're a high level player that wants to, maybe find that pathway to pro or mm-hmm. maybe play in college or see, you know, somewhere in between. Um, we want to be able to give those opportunities to be seen uh, and showcase just like all the other MLS next or DA East, you know, former DA ECNL and all those premier tournaments. We, we sent kids to Dallas and Denver recently, multiple teams won their age groups. Uh, so, you know, I'd like to take credit for the development, but we, uh, <laughs> we just know that there's a ton of kids here that want to play and we want to try to try to nurture that and grow that and, and give any kid that wants an opportunity to interact with our club the, that exact opportunity. Yeah, and you've integrated. I mean, you've got a coaching staff with experience. I was, I was really combing through, and I noticed, you know, experience from uh, Atlas of League MX, uh, FC Dallas, and Chivas as well. So, um, you know, you're not – I think the, the, the sort of stereotypical coaching experience growing up in the United States used to be just mm-hmm. – you know, somebody's dad that, you know, might have might have picked up a copy of how to coach soccer at his local library and then went down and just told you to run after the ball and kick it. But it's nice to see an approach where, you know, we're finally seeing coaches with real pedigree who who are, are really taking this seriously and bringing that to youth development. Yeah. And that's that's you know, we've got there's five or six A licenses across town and we have we have all of them but one. And the one we don't have is the UTEP uh, women's head coach and her husband has uh is in our club so we're we 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 look for talent we try to find talent we also try to nurture again that that talent and and encourage these guys to get their you know their official licensing and, and coaching badges as it were we've got some guys that just went through and got their b licenses which is a big deal mm-hmm. uh and we want to formalize it we again we we want to compete at with la with new york we want to compete mm-hmm. with everybody that's in front of us uh, on on every level and we want the best people that we can get um, because we know that there's a ton of talent here and it's and it's our job as you know as the adults as the coaches to to help bring them along uh, to get the most out of them and they can get the most out of themselves and, and again as, as we've seen I know I'm, I'm a product of it soccer you know playing college soccer taught me a lot of the things that I've applied to you know my professional life you know mm-hmm. wasn't always the best but I definitely worked hard and that that's a right. that, those are characteristics and there's plenty of them that that you know I'm sure everyone listening can think about the things that they've learned in sports um, 
and how they've applied those and have, have make them a better person, a better, better friend, a better business professional, all those things. And, and I think that these kids, whether they know it at the time or not, they'll, uh, they'll drop on these uh, later on in life. No, definitely. And you talk about, um, you know, that wanting to compete and players want to compete too. And I think, you know, too often you see people, you know, either pundits or people who are experts think that, you know, USL level players can't translate to an MLS level. And I think you're really starting to see that stereotype disappearing. You, your goalkeeper who you just had went up, you know, went on a quick loan to the Portland Timbers and he proved that he can compete at that level. Um, are you starting to see a little bit more movement where people are realizing that these USL, you know, players can compete with, you know, the MLS? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying this in an incendiary bomb drop, but I think, I think MLS is, is looking around a bit more and saying, there's some quality down there, and, and maybe we don't know everybody that we think can compete at this level. Um, yeah, Logan Ketterer went on a about a month was with with Portland Timbers had a you know two shutouts and, and got a little bit a little bit beat up down there in Philadelphia. But but you know he stepped in immediately with guys he mm-hmm. didn't know in a system that he he hasn't been as familiar with. It was able to to compete. He came back. You know it's it's almost unbelievable to say, but but more confident, more assertive. Uh, you know I think he learned a lot up there, and and you know they they were they were very interested in art, keeping an eye on him um, to, to make, you know, we'll see, excuse me, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I think there's, you know, last year, was it 2019, um, Chapa, uh, Luis Herrera, a local mm-hmm. player, went on trial with LAFC, with Carlos Vela. You know, he, he mm-hmm. you know, they were looking around. He, he fits a certain uh, mold of player physically that they, that they were looking for. And, and it, it, ultimately he came back, but to get that opportunity to go there and, and I think right. you, you look around the league, there's, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the probably MLS front runner goal of the year by Rubio. That guy was playing in San Diego last year. I mean, um, John went from Phoenix to Atlanta. There, there's a lot of uh, Cody Mizell to New York city. Pasher went to Houston. I think there's a lot of guys that, that MLS is like, huh, that's not bad. That guy could help us win. And I, you know, I think we're, Again, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I think we'd love to step on a field when when the, when the U.S. Open Cups around or able to to start again and 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 play Dallas, Houston, or whoever, because we right. think we can compete. And and I think a lot of teams at the USL level can compete, and on any given day can beat MLS teams um, on a fraction of the budget. And I think that that's important. The, uh, the 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 distance between is is rapidly closing, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of change taking place in the, uh, the USL and um, you know, they're trying a lot of things, as you mentioned, the U S soccer stopped the development Academy. USL has their own Academy structure. Now Mm -hmm. I see that you guys are going to have a uh, both girls and boys side. Um, But I did want to ask on that topic, the USL also did just announce the USL W league um, kind of bringing it back. I guess they, they did have the W league folded now they're bringing it back uh do you guys have any intentions to to start a w league team as well i mean i know it's not easy to just come on and say something like that if it's if it's going to take some planning but i just wanted to hear your thoughts yeah it's absolutely something that we we are talking about and, and are considering i don't know that we'll, we're necessarily part of my joke is we're barely got this uh, we definitely don't have this first team thing done and you know adding the youth soccer component at a, at a very you know 17 team plus all these programs is a lot um, but it's absolutely something that we're we're looking at. 
um, planning for and considering. I don't know that we'll be uh, necessarily in there in, in year one, but I think it's something that, again, as we, you know, our value system uh, of giving opportunities to, to the kids in El Paso, that obviously needs to include girls. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, well, I don't think, I know it's something that we've been talking about and something that we will certainly consider um, as, as time goes by. But at the moment, we, we don't necessarily have a plan to come in at the, at the beginning, but rest assured it's, it's being considered. And I, you know, nothing would surprise me I would, that we would have a, a team in there in, in short order. Definitely. Um, and we talk about sort of, you know, the, the USL closing that gap between MLS. Um, I, you know, and if this isn't something you can speak on or don't want to speak on, it's okay. But the MLS announcing their new trying to set up a lower division system, just maybe what are your thoughts um, about that and sort of, you know, how that maybe could impact the USL? I'll, uh, I'll probably give you the, the sanitized version. Um, <laughs> okay. A, a bit. We'll I, take I anything I, we can get. Yeah. Right. I think it's, I think it's interesting and it's probably the, you know, for most teams, again, not having ever worked for an MLS team and on the outside looking in on that, it appears that most MLS teams, it's developmental. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And this is probably a bit of a higher level than most teams are, are prepared for. Now, when you, you know, if you have an off week for Sporting Kansas City and you want to drop nine guys back down to, you know, it looks different because you can get a result. But, you know, it, it seems more developmental. And I think to, to, to have teams like like to develop that way, since that seems to be the common strategy, it makes sense for them to kind of do their yeah. own thing. And, and, you know, maybe, again, from what I'm hearing, I don't know. It looks like they're going to try to come in at third division um, mm -hmm. uh, akin to, to USL League One. Which, is mm -hmm. a, which seems like a very appropriate place for them to be. And as they develop or as that develops, it, it could develop into other things. But I think that's a better spot for them. Um, you know, and if this, is, this, isn't, this is not a hot take in any stretch. We want to win championships. Right. They want to, if they can develop two guys for the first team, that's a great year. That is an mm -hmm. unbelievable year. And, if, you know, I mean, look, Real Salt Lake or Real Monarchs won it in 2019. And they, they've done both. They won a championship and have developed five, six guys off that team that regularly contribute to the first team. And that is, I mean, and I think they're doing it at the highest level in that model um, personally. But I, I think a lot of these MLS teams seem to be about the home. And that is, that is totally okay. Um, right. It's just sometimes they get, in certain games, you can see that they get lost in against teams that are trying to win games. Yeah, I think that's probably the most realistic answer. I think there's been a lot of, um, speculation and it's it's really too hard to tell we don't have enough to go off of but yeah. I think mm -hmm. I think where you're leaning towards seems to be probably the most accurate answer that they've been working towards having some sort of a reserve league it seems like for a little bit of time and USL it also seems has been trying to push the two teams down or at least you know giving them the option of moving down to league one um, so yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good answer. Yeah. Probably also a safe Definitely. answer for now yeah, as well. And, and that's you know it seems you know based on everyone's goals. Again, I again I don't I can't speak for any other team. But what it looks like is that 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 seems a better spot. And, and if they want to do their own thing, certainly their prerogative and see where it develops. You know, in three years we could be having wildly different uh, conversations because God knows mm -hmm. where it can go. You know, right? right. Definitely. Well, I also wanted to ask, so um, we, we, we've talked a little bit about this, but 
um, I'm wondering if maybe there's more you'd like to talk about between the connection uh, with your club and FC Juarez. Um, maybe not even necessarily the, you know, the, the direct connection between the two clubs, but um, from what I've seen, you know, players, people are able to uh, pretty much just go right across the border and, and go catch a game at either city these days. Um, what kind of community have you seen grow between the two clubs? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if we're going to kind of talk before COVID and, and certainly we're, we're, we're hopefully on the back end of COVID, when things open up a bit more, you know, the border's been pretty restricted uh, in the last 14, 16 months. But, you know, assuming that that, that opens up soon and everybody's safe, there is a ton of interaction between um, probably most specifically um, fans that live in El Paso that routinely, I mean, I've walked across and gone to, uh, at this point, 12, 15 different games. It's uh, the stadium is right there um, with their move. They, they were always well supported uh, at second mm -hmm. division, but since they've obviously made the move to Emekis, they are, uh, that is a sold out venue at all times. It's a hard ticket to get. And uh, when you bring in some of the biggest teams on this continent, you know, like, America yeah. and Chivas and, and others, it's it's a big draw for those teams to come to come to Juarez and play, and uh, I think it's it's great it's great for this community because all of a sudden you've got a team operating in what I think is one of the top top leagues in the world and mm -hmm. in Liga MX, and then you've got us who's you know a a very good team in our league um, for the first two and counting into three years we've done knock on wood we don't implode or anything um, <laughs> we, you know we've done very well as well. And I think all of a sudden, that almost out of nowhere in the last three, four years, this this market, this Porterflex region, has suddenly got two very successful, very high end teams. Again, with with you know bringing different, you know, Indy was just in town. I keep mentioning them, and, and Vegas, and Phoenix, and San Antonio, and Austin, and you know other cities that are nationally known or internationally known. Well, they got to come to El Paso, and you got to you know you got to do mm -hmm. that thing. So we're you know helping raise our profile nationally mm -hmm. as well and you know showing our fans that oh okay this isn't like we're not just playing you know the team that you know across town or something this isn't glorified men's league soccer these are these are pro guys that have some you look in their their stories like you mentioned with Richie some pretty impressive I mean Richie played in the EPL for maybe a game or two like Yuma was in La Liga for a little bit like you know that same league that Messi's in you know that, yeah. that league it's <laughs> like you know I mean I know you know I'm saying facetiously but you know Yuma was in that league. That's pretty cool. Like, so, you know, and we've got, you know, guys, there's guys down in, uh, for, for Bravos that have played in the national team. Um, it's, it's a, and that's, that national team is no slouch, certainly. So, uh, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. There's a, a, a bounty of great soccer opportunities in this area right now. Yeah. So I was going to ask actually, um, has having Rio Grande Valley, has that pushed you guys at all or, um, what kind of relationship do you have between that club with, with RGV? Yeah. I would say, uh, an acrimonious, no, um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, if you look at San Diego, Tijuana, you look at, you look at, uh, RGV and, and, uh, you know, the, the Monterey state of Monterey, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very similar to us, but they are not like us in the sense that our two cities, if you didn't know that there was a, you know, a river and some, some fencing, we literally are right into next to each other. There's a little bit of distance, some miles in between. Um, this is one of, I think, one of the most unique, uniquely situated clubs with with similar ownership in the world. Yes, does Man City own six different teams across the world? Of course they do. Does the you know the Red Bulls group 
course they do. Atletico or Atletico in, in Spain? Uh, in Spain, yeah. But does anybody own two teams that literally sit a mile apart from each other? Right. No. It, it, it Not gives many. Us some, it gives us some really unique, it, I think, advantages that that no one else that I'm aware of, at least on the planet, it, it has. We've got a couple guys on loan every year. We've had. We've uh, as they made the jump up, we were you know there were some guys that didn't couldn't quite make the the, the Liga MX scene. Well, now Adair Borelli is uh, starting left back for us, and mm-hmm. uh, Leandro Carrillo has scored some big time. I mean, he was Bravo's all-time leading goal scorer. He's scored some major goals for us as well in his short time here. So we're we're able to get our, our youth stuff. Uh, I won't go too into depth, but we're able to do so much with their youth, and I think the youth is at the youth levels where the where we're going to be able to do the most things once we come completely out of COVID to to be able to interact almost on maybe on a weekly, daily basis with different things sharing of players, opportunities for different groups because they, you know, the opportunities they have versus the opportunities we have. I, I think it's a little cliche, but the sky's the limit. And we, we've, not, we've not dug anywhere close to the bottom of what could happen between our two groups. And I think it's an right. international story that's just waiting to be told once, once that, those next steps are taken. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so interesting because you're mentioned, like they're minutes away from each other, but it's two different, you know, two different countries, two different levels of play. Um, and you have two like major opportunities for so many different players. Like, I mean, it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, players coming from Juarez, coming to El Paso, you know, and they're getting a chance now to play for El Paso. And who knows, maybe down the road, they end up back in Juarez playing in Liga MXs. Um, and so I think it, that, that alludes to something you were talking about earlier. You know, they don't have to leave home now. They've got all of those opportunities right here. It's unbelievable. And it's for both cities, for Juarez and for us. I mean, now all of a sudden, you know, they've got their youth youth system that that plays uh, on the, you know, the day before. They go on all the road trips with the first team um, mm-hmm. and they play congruently or consistently with whoever the first team's playing. And that's that, you know, again, was that happening five years ago? No, it's, it's, it, you know, the come up on both of these groups has been, it's been fast and it's been mighty in, in a sense. And, you know, again, we sit here in five years from now, I think there's going to be oh, you're going to look back and be like, man, we talked five years ago. I hope it's sooner than that. But man, look <laughs> at all the stuff that's happened from when we talked the first time to when mm-hmm. we talk, you know, in the future. Hell, I'll even say a year from now. I bet we've got some major things that we've done that have that have happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's just so exciting. And that's what I love. And I meant to mention this earlier. That's why I love second division sports. Mm. It teaches you so much about all different aspects of the business. If I had, I, I don't think I'd be sitting in this chair talking to you guys if I hadn't done operations and ticket sales and ticket, you know, printing the tickets and using the computer systems. And right. sad to say, you know, at one point I was our graphic designer way back 10 years ago and doing clip art, trying to get the word out for Crystal Palace Baltimore. Like, you know, if you just went into a silo with an MLS team or, a, you know, first division team, all I would know is one thing. I'd right. probably be pretty good at it, but I'd only know one. I love getting to know a part of everything. I think that that's, that's why second division sports are so great. And to see teams, you know, like, like FC Cincinnati or uh, that, that just blew the doors off and they were rewarded for it. I think that's very cool mm-hmm. because they worked very hard. Um, they weren't just given anything and, the, and their community responded. And I think that's, doesn't always happen like that, certainly, but, but there's a lot of teams in this league, uh, Albuquerque, San Antonio, ourselves and Phoenix and many others that, we're, we're, we're doing really well. Uh, we're off to a good start in our, in our little, uh, you know, our communities. Well, as we've said, um, you know, as we've talked about, you're a busy guy. So, you know, we don't want to take too much more of your time. 
But um, I did have one more question for you, you know, kind of a little more lighthearted um, state, you know, news story that came out this week. Um, and also something that just kind of goes back to the, the, the how there's so much opportunity to be had in, in lower league soccer here. How are you feeling about Jamie Vardy uh, becoming a co-owner of uh, Rochester Rhinos? Isn't that a crazy story? Yeah, I was, uh, I was not expecting that. Um, but here's what <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Here's what I think it means in a, in a bigger picture. It mm-hmm. means that soccer in this country at, at the second division level, of course, you've got, you know, you've got Beckham, but we've got, you know, I think it's uh, Hazard and Demba Ba with a, with a, I can't keep up with it, Nisa or something team. You know, what I think this really means is that there's a lot of interest from around the world on what's happening with American soccer. And that to me, Jamie Vardy in Rochester, I can't imagine there's any connection other. I don't know what the connection would be to Rochester <laughs> for a guy that's been on the world stage for a decade. But he's interested. He sees, he sees potential. He sees growth opportunities. Certainly Rochester has a, a, a story past uh, mm-hmm. in this country of really epic, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Portions. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they've been dormant for a little while, but for, for to, get a, to get a spokesperson like that or to have, um, you know, DeMarcus Beasley want to bring a team to his, his city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, yeah. which I don't, it's a weird city to pick, but let's go with it, you know, to see Landon in, in his hometown of San Diego. This, this could be, you know, you see a lot of pro athletes, even like, you know, you see NBA, I can't remember who did what, but uh, who just bought into DC United, uh, Mark Ingram, uh, NFL player. Um, Kevin Durant's bought into somebody's bought into Philadelphia. I think it's so cool to to see these NBA or EPL or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you got Marshawn want, Lynch and Oakland Roots. Yeah, exactly. They want in, right. and, and and they're okay to come in at a second division or third division level because they see the potential, and they're not wrong, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They are not wrong. Uh, you know, don't know if all these will hit. Of course, time will tell. But they're not wrong to to get excited about uh, American soccer. I think, and yeah. watching, you know. It's been uh, disheartening as an American soccer fan on the men's side. The last six years, I think we've underachieved in, in a big way, but I was so encouraged for the first time in a long time uh, with our performance against Mexico and the fact that Agreed. a lot of these kids Definitely. are 25, 26, or, or significantly younger. You know, looking at a, a very young Wea and, and Gio Reyna and even mm-hmm. Tulsic is not very old. It's, it's, it's promising, and I think the world may be like, okay, if we can start to do this, consistently now i mean hell we had on the field at, at one point we had a chelsea player a man city player and a barcelona player i mean when has that ever happened obviously the never. Is, never 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 even yeah. five years ago i would have been shocked to see that. no i never would have imagined like no. seeing that and especially one that's a champions league winner too yeah, you know exactly. and like it's just it just blows my mind to see the development you know with american players and i think the development even more so like within the u.s like from the second division from those lower divisions it just feels like it's exploded in the last five years absolutely and i i, I mean this this country is huge and i think it's still it's still going like and it's not just the this it's it's a roller coaster right now kind of escalation yeah. and it's exciting and that's that's why i love being here because it it changes so much and it's different day to day and you know whatever little you know this kind of might be a unintentionally a great way to wrap this up i think it's it's important for what, I, what we're trying to do here is do our little part for american soccer for worldwide soccer to, to continue to take it to heights because it's still it's still on its way up and i think it's definitely to be a part of that is just in the first lack of a better term it's just so cool uh and if we can 
you know, I'd love to sit here or, you know, look back in 15 years and see some kid on the national team like, like these guys now from El Paso, you know, came through this club and whatever the case may be, would be, uh, you know, that would, that would make this all, all very worth it. For sure. It'd be like the cherry on top of the cake to, Absolutely. you know, see all the hard work and all, you know, the growing and It'd be the know, train coming into the station, if you will. Exactly. It's, it's hard work, but I'd say, you know, at the same time, it's fun work. You know, we definitely love doing this and, and everybody in this office that speaks for everyone in our organization has a passion to, to push this forward. And that's, that's what it's all about is, you know, we're relentlessly uh, moving forward. Just, you know, that's part of our name, locomotives. They don't, they don't go backwards. They only go forward. So that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. You were Definitely. holding on to that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you waited right until the end to just drop us. I, I saw you making notes over there and you're writing it down. And... Where's my microphone? I'll just drop it. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just well, You should have got up from your chair and just walked right just, yeah, just pull, yeah. pull a George Costanza and just say, leave on top. I'm out. No, that, that's, uh, that, I think it's, it's just really important to, to hammer mm-hmm. those points home. And, and again, this is happening in, in hundreds of cities across the country. We're not, we're not the only ones doing it. And, you know, that's the beauty of the, of the USL is, you know, we'll go at it with everybody on the field, but I'm also calling those guys during the week saying, I saw this, what did you do? How did you do that? How did it work? How can we mm-hmm. replicate? Because it's, it's imperative that we all do it together or, you know, we're all, we will all fail together, unfortunately. Definitely. Well, Andrew, I thank you so, so much again for joining us. Um, you know, to all you who have listened, um, definitely be sure to follow what's going on down in El Paso because there is a lot of good stuff going on down there right now. Um, you just listen to it all and there's even more. The best is yet to come. And so we are really excited to see all the movement. Andrew, thank you. Of course, Cameron, as always, thank you too. Um, if you guys like this podcast, obviously follow us on Twitter at Touchline Takes. Email us, touchlinetakes at gmail.com. Um, Follow and El Paso Locomotive, exactly. watch on ESPN Plus. Exactly. And that's, you know, just the exclusive being able to see all the games now has been so awesome. So, you know, we're really happy to be able to tune in every weekend to El Paso or, you know, any other club in the USL or lower divisions. Yep. No, appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, happy to come back whenever you need us. We appreciate you. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks again.